Welcome to another edition of the Litigation Psychology Podcast brought to you by Courtroom Sciences. Dr. Bill Kanaski here. Wow, what a freaking day, folks. What a week. Unbelievable. Can't get into it, but just one word. Wow. Just wow. Hope everyone is doing well. Right before I start the podcast today, got an email from a uh, from an attorney, defense counsel. First line is, I've listened to a bunch of your podcasts. I think my client can benefit from, from this approach. Thank you very much. Making that phone call right after this. But I got to take care of the audience first. Audience members, podcast is growing. Subscribers up, volume up. Okay, doing great things here. This is really the only one of its kind. So I encourage you, spread the word. Tell your friends, tell your colleagues, tell your, tell your mom. Your, your mom would love this podcast. I'm serious. She may not understand it all, but she'll, she'll laugh her ass off. Tell you that right now. Um, let's start with my rant today. I always got to start off with the rant. So my son moves out of his apartment in LA and moves back home uh, with mom and dad different story, different podcast. The landlord sends me an email and says, uh, oh, by the way, I am keeping your $600 deposit. And on top of that, you owe me 250. So your, <laughs> your bill's 850. <sighs> I mean, it's just never ending with these kids. So I reply, I'm talking to my lawyer, right? Pick up the phone, talk to my LA lawyer. And he says, hey, very, very strict laws on this. Very strict laws. Don't get railroaded. This guy's going to provide pictures of any damage that was done. And that was the claim. He said, you know, there was wall damage and the carpet was damaged and your kid didn't clean anything. I'm like, that's impossible. I'll get back to you. Apparently, a law is very strict on this. Has to have pictures, has to have receipts for anything that was done as far as painting, cleaning, carpet, all whole nine yards. So I reply with my email. I didn't say, you know, hey, asshole, this is what you need to give me to prove this. But short of that, that's pretty much the tone of my of my email back to the landlord. Five minutes later, guess what this guy sends me? Mm hmm. You guessed it. Uh, pictures of damaged walls, pictures of damaged carpet. Um, the apartment was a cesspool. These kids didn't clean anything. Yeah. Mm hmm. So he will be keeping my six hundred dollars, and I'll be writing a check for two fifty. So it's been a crazy week, folks. It's been a crazy, but let's jump into the podcast. I like doing a solo podcast. I love Doctor Wood. Doctor Wood's awesome. Steve Wood is tremendous. Poor guy needs a break sometimes. You know, give the poor guy a break. He's been busy. He's been doing mock trials. He's been training witnesses. Traveling all over like me. I just got back in last night at midnight. Thank you, Atlanta Hartsfield. By the way, so I measured the distance, right? In Atlanta Hartsfield, crazy airport. The distance between gate AA and gate A11. You ready for this? 92 yards. I walked it out. Had some time on my hands. I walked it out from, from A, A10 to A11. So that's the problem with Hartsfield, right? So you land, you land at A2. And your connection's at A30. And you're thinking, hey, same terminal. Fantastic. That, it's 28 football fields away. 
that it's 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 really incredible. I don't know how they designed that airport, but literally it's a football field in between gates. Now got my steps in, feel fantastic. Ran over a couple people. I hate the slow walkers at the airport. I'm telling you, slow walkers make me nuts. So had to had to throw a couple forearm shivers, put the shoulder down, put the head down a few times. Probably got a targeting flag on my way to my gate. But man, that is a lot of walking. Atlanta Hartsfield. But you know what? When you're in the southeast, you're gonna get stuck there. Just the way it is. All right, podcast. Two topics today. The first topic is guessing, witness guessing. Everybody, okay, so you tell you tell your witness, defense counsel, you tell your witness, don't guess. And your witness goes, okay, right? And then they sit down for deposition. <clears throat> the plaintiff attorney says, I don't want you to guess. If you don't know the answer, say you don't know or you don't remember. Witness goes, okay. And then what do they do? They guess. Jesus Christ. I mean, this is, I mean, it's one of the basic rules. And people still violate it. Why? It's the way you're, it's all, again, folks, it's all, it's called the litigation psychology podcast for a reason. Psychology, neuropsychology. Your brain's wired to guess. The witness brain is wired to guess why they do that. But let's back up. So I posted on LinkedIn that uh, I was reading a deposition that I, I said to prepare a witness for trial last week in Los Angeles. Of all places. I should have stopped. I should have stopped and bought the landlord a drink. Didn't do that. So I'm in Los Angeles and the witness. Okay. The witness from my, from my estimation had guessed he had started answers with the phrase, I guess 78 times. Right. Well, it turns out this was closer to 90 almost a hundred and one deposition, which creates a big headache for trial. Right. And so <laughs> the, I get, right. You never want to start. So how do you know your witness is guessing? We'll talk about stopping the guessing. How do you know your witness is guessing? Well, sometimes they start out answers with, I guess blank. That's pretty obvious. They're guessing. That's what this gentleman did. <clears throat> very, very bad couple of other phrases to watch out for in your witness prep, right? You're doing mock questioning. The witness starts answers with, I think, okay, I believe, I probably, I assume. Those four phrases will kill you. Why? Because the plaintiff attorney knows, you're, you're telling the plaintiff attorney, I'm guessing Please attack me on my guess. And then this is the great part. After your witness guesses, the a solid cross-examiner is going to ask follow-up questions. And then what does your witness do on the follow-up questions? Any guesses? See? See what I did there? They guess again. Damn it. All right. Why does this happen? Then we'll talk about how to stop it. Number one, your brain's wired to guess. You're under oath. In a lawsuit, it's a, a stressful situation. Witnesses want to do their best. And they feel bad when they don't know something or they don't remember something. They think they're hurting the case. And that's usually not the case. Okay. Rarely does the I don't know or I don't remember get you in trouble 
if you're a fact witness being deposed. Corporate rep, different story. I don't know that I remember aren't going to cut it in the corporate rep 30B6 step, right? But fact witness step, there's no way they can answer all these questions, particularly if the event happened two, three, four, sometimes even five years ago. It's 2022. I got cases from 2015, 2016, 2017. Who the hell is going to remember that? Okay. So I think the first thing you need to do is tell the witness, which you already do, but you need to tell them in a different way. Say, listen, your brain is wired to guess. Also, I ain't going to guess. Yeah, you are. Yeah, you are. And here's some examples of guessing and tell them about these phrases. See, people don't think they're guessing. When your witness says, I believe so, they don't think that's a guess. That is a guess. Got him pounding the table here. Camera shaking. It's a guess. Okay. Mrs. Jones, did you do X? Answer. Eh, I, I think I did. It's a, it's a guess. But they don't think they're guessing. They have to be educated on what a guess looks like, what it sounds like. They're thinking wild guesses. Well, guessing gets you in a lot of trouble. Gets you, the attorney, in trouble strategically. Gets the witness in trouble because they're under oath to tell the truth. And a guess, while the intent is positive, right? They want to do their best. It introduces error into the equation. And then if you have guessing across witnesses, testimonies inconsistent all over the damn place. It makes life very easy for your adversary. Completely preventable. So number one, educate the witness on, here's what a guess is. That's not what you think. Okay, we're not talking about wild guesses. Okay, we're talking about assumptions, probabilities. Those are guesses. Give some examples. I think, I believe, I probably, I assume. You don't start answers with those four phrases, damn it. Okay. When you're doing your mock questioning, when you defense counsel hear one of those four phrases, right? You hear a guess, you stop and you yell, you pound the table and you scream at your witness. Stop it. Okay. And behaviorism, that's called punishment. You cannot beat your witness up. I'm sorry. But you can provide some very stern, constructive criticism. Say, stop. Happened to me yesterday. So stop. I go, are you guessing? And he goes, no. I go, well, how do you know that's true? Oh, well, hmm. Well, I, I, I'm really not sure it's true at all. You're guessing. Why did you say yes? Why did you say yes? Well, it kind of sounded true. No, 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 no. So I screamed down. This is at roughly 11 a.m. By two o'clock, the guy's a superstar. But man, I had to scream at him. Okay. I had to slam the table. I'm not as bad as I sound. I'm not. But you got to get through their head. Okay. You got to get through their head. Guessing will hurt the testimony. So this is an issue. See, what defense counsel does, what you do with your witness is you tell them. Don't guess. That's about as effective as telling them to think before they speak, to listen carefully. Hey, keep your answer short. Good God, folks. If, the, if it was that easy, I'd be unemployed. I would not be unemployed. I'd be, do, I'd be 
a professor at a major university. No, I'm very, very busy. Why? These are skill sets. You can tell a witness to do it. It's like telling my kid to clean his room. And then you walk in an hour later, it's not clean. Well, I told them. No, there's ways to tell these witness things. You got to teach them. You have to instruct them. You have to give them examples. And then when they do it during your witness prep session, you need to drop the hammer on them. Okay. Extinction. We have to get rid of that negative behavior. We have got to get it away. Um, that's a chronic problem. It's been a chronic problem for hundreds of years, but there is a science behind that. There's a neuroscience behind that. The brain wants to help. The brain doesn't like incompleteness. People do not like to say, I don't know. I don't remember. It makes them uncomfortable. And then a really good cross-examiner follows up with, you don't remember. You were in a trucking accident where there was three deaths and you're telling me you don't remember how fast you were going. Come on. And then they go ahead and get, so there's a lot of tricks and traps out there by the cross-examiner to get your witness to guess. So they have to be educated on those two. Those, those are counterattack maneuvers. Okay. They work, but the witness has to be trained properly to recognize those. Number one, number two, deal with them to deal with them. A lot of witnesses guess after they've admitted not knowing or not remember something. Why? The attorney made them feel bad. The cross-examiner made them feel bad. Okay? It's a phenomenal counter-maneuver. Phenomenal. But highly preventable, 100% preventable with the right training. Okay? So I'm trying to help you out. What I'm trying to say is you should probably hire me. I could do this a lot better than you can. Okay? Save you a lot of headaches. But man, huge problem. And it ha I, I swear it happens. It happens in every deposition. Okay. Now, if it happens once or twice, probably not a big deal. Happens 94 times. 94 times. Good, I mean, Jesus Christ. I, what? Oh. And, it was, and was told repeatedly. Poor, the, the poor attorney called me. I told him not to guess. I'm like, it's not enough. Okay. It's not enough. Same thing, thinking before you speak, keep your answer short, listen carefully, make sure you understand the question. People are not capable of this because it's, it's, it's a skill set. It needs to be taught. It needs to be taught. Not easy. Witnesses, stop guessing. Christ. All right. God, that was a rant in itself, the guessing rant. But that's really important, really important part. And you guys can help yourselves, defense counsel, help yourselves by changing some of your witness prep and education. I wouldn't let them listen to the podcast. Probably discoverable. Um, but go over those four phrases and then drop the hammer when they do it in your prep. Number two, let's talk about oh, a paper's on the way on this. I've just been so damn busy. Uh, we talk a lot about fight or flight response patterns and witnesses, right? Fight, they get angry, they get upset. They start being argumentative. They start being uh, defensive. And that's not good. Fight or flight. Or, or they get scared shitless. Anxiety, fear, nervousness. And they just start yapping away. 
trying to say anything they can to get out of that chair. Flight. That's flight. Both of those are neurocognitive chemical reactions. Cortisol, folks. Cortisol, very, very bad. Okay. That lasts for three to five hours, meaning once your witness goes fight or flight, they are screwed for the rest of the death. So you have to prevent from happening. Yeah, you go ahead and take it after your witness loses their mind. Yeah, try to take a break for 10 minutes and calm them down. It's not going to work. Subcortical structures take over. Amygdala and hippocampus say, hi, <laughs> I'm in charge. We're in charge. Prefrontal cortex is like, what about me? Yeah. And then the rest of the testimony sucks. It sucks. So you got to prevent that. But there's a third response, which no one talks about. And that's the freeze appease, freeze appease, right? So let's do some neuroanatomy right now, right? So you have your autonomic nervous system, okay? Autonomic nervous, ANS, that is divided up into two parts. The sympathetic nervous system, okay? That's the fight or flight, sympathetic nervous system, okay? Raise heart rate, raise blood pressure. I mean, you're preparing for battle or you're preparing to get your ass out of there and run away. Sympathetic nervous system. Okay, amygdala, hippocampus, all that. And that's fight and flight. Okay, sympathetic nerve. But there's this other area, there's this other uh, side of the autonomic nervous system that's called the parasympathetic, parasympathetic nervous system. Now, in most cases, I mean, that's our goal. The parasympathetic, the parasympathetic, I can't freaking talk today. Good. I mean, this is, I've been all riled up. Too, too much rant, too many rants today. The parasympathetic nervous system is the other response from your autonomic nervous system, the other branch that is involved in relaxation, lower heart rate, lower respiratory rate, lower blood pressure. It's the relaxation okay, part of your brain. That's what we want. It's what we want with your witnesses. Okay. But here's the problem just like the sympathetic nervous system can get hyper reactive so can your parasympathetic nervous system and that's where the freeze of peace comes in so when we have an overactivity right hyperactivity in the parasympathetic nervous system the witness freezes they don't go fight or flight they freeze okay it's an it's an evolutionary response okay selected for right um, and it, 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 it oftentimes works for survival. Okay. In deposition, different story. This is where they call it the deer in the headlights. That's the freeze. That's the freeze response deer. in that, you know, you're driving, there's a deer in the middle of the road. He sees you coming and just looks at you. Just looks at you. Doesn't run, <laughs> right? Doesn't attack. It doesn't run. But you're driving your car, you're going 45 miles per hour, and deer headlight, and the deer just stands there. That's a freeze response. That's what witnesses do. And the problem with that, okay, is that this is when the witness free, it's called freeze appease. Okay, freeze appease, meaning the witness will to survive, try to appease the questioner. And how do you appease the questioner? You agree. 
So there's several different reasons why the witness gets on the yes train. You know what the yes train is. Your witness sits there and goes, yes, 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 yes. And just agrees with everything plaintiff counsel says. Very, very bad for your case. There are a number of reasons for that. There's a reptile reason for that. Okay. This is one of the many reasons for that is the, oh, somebody's calling me, spam, leave me alone, is that the uh, parasympathetic nervous system becomes hyperactivated, witness freezes, and they know to survive, they, agree to, they have to agree. Because they know if they disagree, there's going to be a conflict. And they don't want conflict. Okay? This is conflict avoidance. Remember, if you, if you want a questioner to be nice to you and just leave you alone, just keep saying yes. The debt will be over pretty quickly. You'll be out of the negative situation pretty fast. All right? So this is problematic. So when witnesses freeze, they have to appease to survive. And that's the yes train. So again, this requires careful assessment of your witness. Uh, it requires a lot of mock questioning to see if this happens. It's, it's, it's more rare. Fight or flight is far more popular, far more frequent. Okay. Uh, freeze to pieces is, is rare, but it definitely happens. Okay. And you want to educate your witness about this. Educate them about fight or flight, but also this third survival response, which is freeze a piece. <clears throat> if you see it happening, now, here's the good news about freeze a piece. It doesn't have that cortisol, okay, adrenal reaction that the sympathetic nervous system provides in fight or flight. Meaning, if you see the deer in the headlights, you can take a time out with your witness, drag him in the hallway, slap them around, say, hey, wake, wake up, <laughs> okay? So that's the good news. It can be fixed on the spot, but the witness needs to be aware of it. So I just want to tell you a little bit about that third survival mechanism. We'll talk about it again. But it's amazing what happens when freeze a piece sets in because your witness will agree with anything to avoid conflict. Remember, you're training the witness to disagree with the questioner, particularly on blame questions and hypothetical questions that paint them into a corner. And the brain as a survival mechanism may say, I don't want to do that because when I disagree, he or she gets mad at me. When I disagree or say it depends, the questioner rolls their eyes. They have, yes, that's exactly what they do. It's a countermeasure. It works. <clears throat> it works. So um, we have to be careful for fight or flight because I think that does far more uh, damage, damage by frequency. It's more popular, but there is this, and certain people are susceptible to it, depending on their background, their upbringing, okay? Oftentimes, witnesses uh, that come from a traumatic childhood, for example, um, that's where you see most of this. And by the way, you don't know what your witnesses have been through, okay? But that freeze of peas um, is, is out there. Be careful for it is preventable if you assess it the right way. It's really difficult. It's really, really difficult, but it's out there. Okay. So I just wanted to let you know about that uh, paper on the way uh, uh, regarding that. Uh, and that, and that's it for today's podcast. Um, again, 
uh, increasing popularity. Please spread the word. You want to be a guest? Well, I'd have to approve that. Um, but most likely, I'd love to have you as a guest. And there's a bunch of stuff to talk about. Bunch of stuff to talk about. Discovery stuff. Trial prep stuff. Trial stuff. Jury stuff. Jury selection stuff. Lots going on. A lot's changing. A lot's changing. Nuclear verdicts, right? Are these becoming a learned behavior? Here's a theory. Here's a theory. That nuclear verdicts might be becoming a learned behavior by jurors. Why? Because the media puts a lot of spotlight on the nuclear verdicts and they don't do it equally or if at all for the defense verdicts. Okay. So then you get a juror that goes to juror duty and the, they're pre-programmed like, Hey, I guess my job is supposed to be a nuclear verdict. Cause that's all I read about. I don't read about defense verdicts. It's kind of dangerous. It's a theory. You, we know that there's multiple causes for nuclear verdicts, but a learned behavior response could potentially be uh, one of them. You know, why do you think you have all these stadium fights now? Now, there's all, yeah, guys have always gotten loaded and gotten into fist fights at football games. That's nothing new. But the frequency of that has drastically increased. Why? Go on YouTube. There's no videos of fans sitting quietly being civil. All the crazy videos, and then they go viral, right? It's a learned response. So then people see that on YouTube, on Twitter. Then they go to a game and there's a disagreement of sorts. Well, their brain is now pre-programmed of, I know what I'm supposed to do. I've, I've, I've seen this movie before. I'm supposed to clobber this guy or throw, throw my beer at his girlfriend. Oh, holy shit, folks. What in the world? Oh, society. Unbelievable. But think about that. Think about that. If the media handled nuclear verdicts different, where would we be? But here's the bigger question. If the media handled defense verdicts differently, think about that. It's not a sexy story. It's not. The defense verdict's not a sexy story. The problem is that does have an influence on people's perceptions and decision makings. Thank you so much for participating in this episode of the Litigation Psychology Podcast. So much fun. We'll be back soon. I am Dr. Bill Kanaski. We will see you next time.